you're doing well today. Uh, welcome to my home. My name's Andrew Bondre, and I'm one of the pastors at Crossroads, and it's great to be with you guys today. Uh, if you're wondering why you're hanging out with me in my kitchen, uh, well, it's because it's my house, which means it's my rules, right? And it's where I'm most comfortable, so that's where you get to hang out with me. Uh, I hope you don't mind uh, being in here with me for the next little bit as we uh, continue walking through John chapter 6. Now, this season of the coronavirus has been completely crazy, and one of the things that has completely thrown me off is time, right? Like, it is like crazy to think about how days go by and weeks go by, and somehow it's now the month of May. So, I just wanted to give you a little public service announcement that next Sunday, Sunday, May 10th, is Mother's Day. And from everything I've heard, that's not a day you want to forget, okay? So, what I want to encourage you to do is take advantage of uh, this next week to prepare and find a way to love the special mom in your life uh, this next week. Uh, but additionally, we just want to put a, another challenge out to you as well. This goes for each and every person watching. We want you to think about uh, maybe some moms in your life that are facing an especially challenging time in this season. I want you to think about ways that maybe you could love and serve that mom as we approach Mother's Day. You know, we've got a list of ways that you can do this. If you go to cccgo.com forward slash mom, there are ideas for both the mom that lives in your home maybe as well as maybe another mom who's just having a tough time. You know, maybe it's a mom who has lost a child over the last year or has had a miscarriage. Maybe it's a mom who's in a nursing home and is facing the weight of loneliness. Maybe it's a single mom. Maybe it's a, a mom who lost a spouse in this last year and you want to come alongside them and love them. Maybe it's a mom who's on the front lines of fighting the coronavirus or has just had their world thrown for a loop. I know that's almost everyone, but think about those that, that are maybe first responders or part of a first responder's family or educators or those in the medical field or any number of other people. We want to encourage you to love and serve those moms this next week as well to let them know that they are not forgotten in this season. Now, it seems like it was a week ago that we actually started off this uh, new thing of, of this Jesus Is series, but it was just two weeks ago, all right? We're operating on COVID time, which means it's hard to keep track of those things, but I'm excited today to jump in to week three. Now, last week, Phil jumped into John chapter six with us and showed us that Jesus is provider. We looked at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. We saw the way that Jesus actually took five loaves and two fists to feed over 5,000 men plus the women and children that were there. Now today we jump into a story that actually comes immediately after the feeding of the 5,000 and three of the four gospels. And as we jump in here, we're gonna start right back in John chapter six, verse 14 and 15, which gives us the context for this larger passage of John uh, 6, uh, 16 through 21, which we're going to be in today. So let's go ahead and look back to kind of get our bearings at verses 14 and 15. Here's what John writes. He says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. 
Now, if we were to look at Matthew and Mark's account here, we would see that, it, that there, what they kind of tell us is that Jesus sent his disciples away so that he could dismiss the crowd and then that he retreated to the mountain to pray. Now, here what John does is he kind of zeroes in on the why behind the disciples being sent away and Jesus withdrawn. Let's think about some of the key facts that have happened here. First, Jesus has just fed over 5,000 people, and the people are amazed by what Jesus has done. So whenever they're amazed, they decide that, that they can now place a title on Jesus, that they are going to call him this king that was going to come and deliver them. And so what does Jesus do? He sends his disciples away and withdraws to pray. Why? I think it may have been because this was a time of strong temptation and challenge for Jesus. I mean, here Jesus was being given the opportunity to be made king without having to endure the cross. It's similar to the temptations we see in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 as Satan comes and tempts Jesus and offers him all the authority over all this space that he can see if he would just bow down. But Jesus resists temptation and says, no, I'm going to follow my father's plan. And here he seems to face this, what could be a strong temptation or just a strong challenge. And he withdraws to pray as he sends his disciples away. Now, John here zeroes in in verses 16 through 18 to give us a picture of the disciples' situation as they leave Jesus. Here's what it says, starting in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined him. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. The next verse will go ahead and tell us that they had rowed about three or four miles. But here we see a couple of important things at the start of this verse. First, it was night, and second, there was no Jesus. Now these are two things that seem to go together quite a bit in John's writings. John loves using the imagery of light and dark. He uses the picture of darkness to picture to or to be a picture of the reality of life apart from God or the absence of Jesus coming into people's lives. You can see this in John 13:30 as he talks about one of Jesus' disciples, Judas, who actually betrayed Jesus. Whenever Judas betrays Jesus or gets ready to go and betray him, we're told that he eats this morsel of bread and then he leaves Jesus and we're told, and it was night. This physical descriptor that, that's a picture of the physical reality, there was a picture of what was going on spiritually for Judas as well. And the picture of light in the writings of John often is this picture of God's presence or of Jesus coming into the world. This is seen in the very first chapter in John chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 where he talks about Jesus coming as the, the life. And this, this life was the light of the world and the darkness has not overcome this light. He uses this picture again to be a, this physical situation to be a picture of a spiritual reality. So here are the disciples at night without Jesus. But not only that, they find themselves on the water and this strong storm begins to work up. Now this was not uncommon on the Sea of Galilee. 
reality is because of the topography, the kind of layout there around the lake, these kind of storms were pretty common on the Sea of Galilee. And in the ancient world, the sea and storms were a natural cause of fear. It's because they were a terrifying and very real reminder of how little control humans have in this world. You see, if they were to stay on land in this time, it was not very often that they would face an earthquake or a tornado. But it seemed like any and every time you got onto the sea, you were taking your life in your own hand because a storm could come on at any point. And that storm could be destructive for you in your entire life. The dangers at sea were often unseen and they were outside of human control. And here again, we see a picture of the physical reality being a picture of what's going on spiritually as well. Unless we forget, this was 2,000 years ago, so it wasn't like they were on some motorboat where they could just cut through the waves on this sea. No, they were in a wooden boat probably about 27 feet long, seven and a half feet wide with four foot tall sides. So it wasn't like they were in this great, uh, this great ship built for a storm to come. The disciples were battling this thing and they potentially been battling it at this point for eight to 10 hours. Some of the disciples were veteran fishermen, but they found themselves in this situation after a long day of ministry, thinking that this just might have been the end for them. Earlier that day, they had seen Jesus be this great provider who provided food for over 5,000 people, but now it felt like this could be where it all ended. This could be where it all stopped. Have you ever noticed how times of suffering and crisis can actually reveal a lot more about what's going on in our heart than, than maybe we realize? It can be an indicator of what's going on in our hearts in a way that, that, that just normal life doesn't expose. I remember the first time I recognized this was when my dad passed away unexpectedly when I was 25, but I've seen it in other seasons of suffering and crisis as well. Oftentimes, our frustrations, our anxieties, our hopes, the place where we place our hope for ending or escaping this suffering reveals something about the focus of our heart or maybe what our heart is most set on. It can be our, our comforts. It can be where our insecurities lie in seasons like this. What will this new normal look like? How long will we survive in this unknown future? What will this look like as we move forward? You know, I think what Satan would have you and I do in this season I think he would have us be so frenzied, running at such a pace mentally that maybe we don't slow down long enough to look at these indicators going on in our heart, where we don't pay attention to the anxieties or the anger or the insecurities, and we miss maybe what God's trying to uproot in our hearts. Or, you know, maybe he would have us numb ourselves by scrolling through Facebook endlessly. Finding ourselves growing frustrated by different people's responses to the coronavirus, thinking that is completely wrong, or yes, that person completely knocked it out based on whether or not they agree with you. I don't know how exactly maybe he's attacking you, but I think what he's probably trying to do to each of us 
is keep us so distracted that we don't ask the question, what is it that God's trying to do in our hearts? You know, right now what I want to do is I want to give you three minutes to jot down these next four questions that are going to pop up on the screen. And as you do, I just want you to pick one of these, just one of these to discuss today. Write down all four so maybe you can walk through some of these other ones later, but pick just one to really wrestle through right now. hear me, whatever it is that maybe you're anxious about or insecure about, angry about, wherever it is you're placing your hope, these things probably aren't in and of themselves bad. They're probably not things that that are really just morally terrible. The reality is, though, it doesn't matter if they are good or bad. The question is whether or not something is becoming our ultimate focus 
that doesn't really deserve that title of ultimate. You see, Jesus and Jesus alone deserves to be our ultimate focus. If we place our ultimate focus on anything else, we're either going to crush that thing or find ourselves crushed whenever that thing lets us down. It could be family. You could find yourself putting so much weight on your family to fulfill, to take away the anxiety or bring about the peace, whatever it may be, that you actually end up crushing them. Or you may find yourself crushed because your family lets you down. It could happen with Job security, financial security. You put your ultimate focus upon that, and then whenever it disappears, it ends up crushing you. Or you lose it all because you end up focusing too heavily on it. The same can be said about your health or any number of other things that could be impacting you right now. You know, I don't know where you are in this season. Has the coronavirus maybe caused you to look at God's faithfulness and say, sure, he was faithful in the past. He provided then, but where is he now? Maybe it's caused you to begin to wrestle through like maybe the disciples were saying, yeah, God provided for all these people today, but where is he now whenever we are alone in this boat? What am I supposed to do now? My family's driving me crazy. I would give anything to just get out of my house to have a little bit of peace. My health is now gone. My job and the financial security that came with it is gone. Where is God now? I'd encourage you. I know that those three minutes probably weren't enough time for you to discuss, whether it was with the people in the room with you or, or maybe it was you journaling about them. What I want to encourage you to do with those four questions is make up time later on this week or maybe even later on today where you wrestle through each one of those questions or just focus in on one where you think God is at work in your heart. Begin wrestling through what is it that my ultimate focus is. What is it that's going on in my heart? You know, as the disciples sit in their place of remembering how Jesus had provided for the crowds, but now facing this storm by themselves, here's what we're told in verse 19. It says, when they rode three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened. You see, right here is where the good news comes in. You see, because in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the crisis, Jesus is present. Jesus doesn't leave us in these battles by ourselves, but he shows up and he is present. He showed up in the midst of the chaos for the disciples and he will and is present in our chaos today. We just have to look for him. We have to choose to look up like the disciples did and see him. You remember the disciples first saw him here. It tells us that they were frightened. So what does Jesus do? He calls out and lets them know who it is. Look at verse 20 where it says this, where Jesus says to me, he says, It is I. Don't be afraid. Here we learn another important thing about Jesus' presence, and it's this. Jesus' presence drives out fear. Jesus' presence with us drives out fear in our lives. In the midst of the chaos, Jesus said, It is I. Don't be afraid. 
You see, because wherever Jesus is, fear has no place. Why was this fear to vanish? Because Jesus was present. This is the same Jesus who spoke and turned water into wine. It's the same Jesus who healed the royal official son with a word, without even being present with the son. It's the same Jesus who who healed the paralytic. It's the same Jesus who turned five loaves and two fish into enough food to feed 5,000 men, plus whoever else came to the potluck, right? It's that same Jesus, and it's the same Jesus who is present with us who drives out fear. But I think as we think about this, and we think about who Jesus is, I think it's important for us to remember and maybe learn from what the crowds maybe did wrong when they responded to Jesus. You see, they recognized that Jesus had done something that was amazing. They responded by saying, ah, I know who this Jesus is. Jesus is the one I've been waiting for. He is the king that's going to deliver us from the Romans. And he is the one that's going to give me this physical freedom that I so badly want. You see, these crowds, they longed for a good thing, for for freedom. But they treated Jesus, the Lord, the one who spoke things into existence as a pawn to get what they wanted, rather than trusting his provision and seeing that he himself is the prize. That Jesus' presence is the prize that we long for. Not Jesus' presence isn't some means to an end. You see, we don't get to define how Jesus shows up or what he does when he shows up. He is not some pet or crutch that we get to name or choose how and when we use. He removes the opportunity for the disciples and the crowds and for us to force our understanding on to Jesus. Whenever we face chaos, we can know and trust that Jesus is going to show up. If he didn't abandon his disciples when they faced the waves, he's not going to abandon us. If he didn't abandon us when he faced the cross, he's not going to abandon us now in the midst of a virus outbreak. It would be contrary to his own nature to abandon us. You see, Jesus reveals himself as the one who has power even over nature. You see, Jesus is either our ultimate focus, either we recognize him as he is, or whoever it is that we think we have a relationship with, it's not the real Jesus. If it's not a Jesus who demands our ultimate allegiance, our ultimate focus, it's not the real Jesus, and we're settling for something less and something that can't actually save us. You see, it's easy for us to put Jesus in a box. To say, I know how and when he should show up and what it should look like when he does. But if we do that, we're taking Jesus off his throne and putting ourselves in that place. And we can't bear that weight. We can't do what he does. You know, I really believe that this can be a defining moment for each and every one of us. I believe that this season can be a defining moment for the families that are watching today. You know, for myself, my wife Bree, my son Abe, this has changed so much about how we are living day-to-day life. The coronavirus has changed our shopping habits, it's changed our play habits, it's changed just about everything. 
that as we're walking through this season, we're at a point now where we're beginning to ask the question, how could this be a defining moment for our family moving forward? What could the future look like and what would it look like for us to maybe step into what it is that God is trying to do in our hearts and in our minds? You know, I think this could be true for each and every one of us. So right now I'm going to give you another three minutes and there are going to be three questions that come up. Just like last time, I want you to write down all of the questions, but just pick one to wrestle through during this time. Talk about it with those that you're watching this with. You can chat about it in the chat box. You can text a friend. You can journal. Do whatever you need to, but don't skip over these questions. Wrestle through and see what is that God is doing in you.
You know, after the disciples recognize Jesus, we're told this in verse 21. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. Probably a good idea, right? And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. No, my encouragement to you is don't miss Jesus in this season. And when Jesus shows up, don't just blow by this season or move on to life as normal beyond this season. Welcome Jesus into the boat. Welcome Jesus to be Lord of your life like he is supposed to be. Like we were created to enjoy him as. It's what we were created for. And whenever we enjoy this and receive this, we experience the life God created us for. With Jesus as present in our life, as Lord in our life. You know, one of the incredible things about this story that, that actually Jacob Stewart, our kids pastor, shared with me this week. He pointed out that, that one of the crazy things about this story is the miracle isn't one of healing or some great provision. The miracle is Jesus being present. The miracle is that Jesus showed up. So I wonder, you know, whatever it is that you're going through, Maybe that's how God is answering your prayer. Maybe that's how he's actually coming through on his promise. It may not be in the way you want it to, but what Jesus is actually doing is he is being present. He's showing up and he's walking through the suffering with you. Jesus is the one who didn't show up in the past, who won't show up in the future. No, he is the one who is present now. He has shown up, he will show up, but he is with us now. But this requires us to take him on his terms. He won't settle for being our crutch. He is the provider and source of life. He himself is the treasure, not a means to get the treasure. You take the step of trusting Jesus in the midst of the chaos. He won't let you down. Jesus is present. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for sending Jesus and for Jesus coming to be with us. God, I thank you that he doesn't leave us alone in our suffering, but he actually steps in to walk through suffering with us. God, I pray right now that you will give each and every one of us eyes to see the way that Jesus is showing up now in our lives, God. And we want to lift him high as we recognize those and testify to the ways that you are showing up. So we pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I hope you don't jump off right now. Um, we actually are trying something new this week, and we're going to have a virtual welcome center. So if you were looking at how to get connected, or maybe you even have more questions about this sermon, I'm going to jump over to the virtual welcome center as well. Nikki and Ross are going to come on now and give you some instructions on how to find that.